Boom. I love that, man. Hey, welcome to this Actors Book Club. Excellent guest today. I have Rip Rawlings. Good to see you guys. That is like a uh, a, a fabulous name. Fabulous. Oh, you know, it's like an nice name, Rip Rawlings. Well, my, man, my first my... name's Hunter. I know, but Rip is just so much better. Well, it's funny because I've had there's I'm the fourth, and I've had this big debate with my family because my family, the 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 uh, the ladies need to get a hold of the men, you know, yelling out in the yard, and so they had to give nicknames to all of us. So I went, I would mine was Rip, my dad was Hunt, but when you're all from the south and your names are basically four three last names tacked on together you kind of need a nickname i guess i hear you brother then we got chris strom what's up guys what's up chris good to see you man good to see you man semper fi semper Semper fi i love it man i love marines there's never (laughs) a former marine there's only veteran marines and current marines and marine brothers and sisters rip you it's pub day man it is pub day for the kill box that's right there it is. <clears throat> yes, sir. That's an arc. That's an advanced reader's copy. And then That's I it. also have the old hat on now. I found out tonight that there's a new hat. There's a new one. I'll get you a new one. Okay, man. You know, Rip, one thing I've learned in life is you can never have too many hats, too many knives, and too many guns. <laughs> you're, so, you're 100%. You're 100%. 100%, man. Yep. So you've been on a ton of shows today, man, talking the kill box. And this is uh, a different premise for this one than... You yeah. know, a lot of the other thrillers out there as well. So let's talk Killbox, man. Let's get let's the, the brief overview of it, and then we'll just jump in and, like, who is Rick Rawlings? <laughs> Sounds good. First of all, I love your show, man. So ha- thanks for having me on. Um, so the Killbox is Red Dawn meets the Dirty Dozen. It's literally what happens if the Russians decide to, to take the big plunge. And so the premise mainly came from being in the Pentagon and, you know, kind of reading – other people's dirty mail, our dirty mail, and realizing that there's a lot of people who do war games. Uh, but what if some of them actually happen? The Russians really are held back by by not that much. They look at uh, the United States as their their peer competitor. And I think any opportunity that they have to make us look bad or do something dirty to us, they're going to take a shot. So that's kind of some of how it started. I would I would say it, it may have even started earlier when I was a kid. You know, we all did the duck and cover drills. Uh, Russia was always that uh, big bear over the hill. I mean, all of us watched Red Dawn. We watched, uh, you know, the day after, and we thought it was going to happen someday. And then we grew up and we joined the military and, you know, things looked a lot different. But at the same time, they didn't uh, because Russia was still the same organization. They're still doing dirty tricks to people. And uh, when I was in the Pentagon, we did a lot of we did a lot of these war games to kind of what if, and it's a great place to have been as a guy who went into to writing books afterwards, because, you know, we, what if stuff all over the world. Um, and, you know, people ask all the time, they're like, well, is this really feasible? Is it possible that Russia would do this? Well, we certainly study it like it is. We definitely take a look at it. And we have for a hundred years uh, back in the 19 teens, we posited uh, what it would be like to go to war with, Japan and war with the UK. And we wrote down the, the uh, rainbow war series plans. And so, yeah, we've been, we've been plotting stuff like this forever. And we've expected that our enemies are doing the same thing. So in this case, in, in uh, the kill box, what happens is Russia puts together a supercomputer, the supercomputer uh, kind of churns on some data for a while. It's not particularly effective. Uh, and the guy who's in charge of it is not particularly effective. Uh, but all of a sudden it starts to put some, 
predictions together that are, are worthy of the uh, president of Russia looking at. So finally, Russia says, you know what, if all of the what are the variables that would take in order to invade the United States, uh, the variables come to pass and you have a, a megalomaniac president of Russia and he says, let's go ahead and do it. And so that's the premise of, of kind of book one. Book two, the Russians have invaded. You've got a main character named Tice Asher, who's a, a Marine who's kind of put out to pasture. He lost his leg in, in, uh, in, in Iraq, and they put him in charge of kind of training people. Uh, he's not thrilled with that, but uh, that's what his job is. And his, his duties take him to West Virginia, where he's training reservists. And uh, he feels like he's never going to see any com- combat again. Well, lo and behold, combat comes to him. He has to pull together this dirty dozen of, of uh, mountain men and uh, moonshiners and bootleggers and, you know, kind of everybody in between. And the next thing you know, he's fighting Russians uh, in them, their hills. So that's that's the basic premise of it right there. I love it, man, because, you know, the original the original Red Dawn, because when you said yeah. Red Dawn, the first thing I have to tell people is I'm like the original Red Dawn. And if yeah. you're if you're the younger crew and you've seen, you know, hey, I like Chris Hemworth. Great, dude. Extraction. Awesome movie. Love it. Yeah. But hey, you know what? Go back, watch the original Red Dawn. It's a good, and the, it's a good movie. And the day after and stuff, man. I remember yeah. doing those. Chris, I probably remember jumping under the desk going, oh, no, we're all going to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a life, man. And that's the yeah. Red Dawn, man. Who didn't want Red Dawn to happen? So, yeah. I want like, and that's the thing is having like the Russians here now, not using some quasi forces and stuff like that, but your background is different. And now you're bringing in Tice. Who's, you know, Tice is like the real deal. And it's not like, you know, a ragtag bunch of kids who don't know what they're doing, but having yeah. the people, cause we all know like 20 plus years of war. Plus if you think about the nineties, we still got a lot of people from the, uh, that generation here yep, that right. know war. And even mm-hmm. if they don't, we have, I mean, look at your, your background right now. We have a ton of people, yourself, myself included. I'm sure Chris, that loves to shoot guns Yep, and loves to think about shooting guns and That's right. know, guns and knives, guns and knives. And it's, and then it's our backyard. We know America and America's, That's right. you know, so it's pretty cool. I love the premise, man. Thank you. Yeah. I think, I think we're continually underestimated. I mean, the, the, Russia and China certainly have templated what it would take to invade the United States. We know that because especially with the former Soviet Union, uh, we know that they studied us in great depth. They place a lot of stock in private gun ownership. They believe that, you know, because there are so many people who own weapons, regardless of whether or not they're deeply patriotic, they'll probably take a shot at you. So it's a dangerous country to invade. Um, You know, in the book, I posit that, you know, the Second Amendment is curtailed to some degree, and that's really what one of the reasons that the Russians feel we could probably do something. But, you know, I, I think that we have guys who've studied insurgency uh, as be, uh, they've fought counterinsurgencies for so long. So they make excellent insurgents. Um, I think, you know, we'd include everybody online right now is that we all looked at it and said, you know, what if the what if the script was flipped? What if I was on the other mm-hmm. side? What if I had to defend my homeland? Uh, because certainly we had to get inside the enemy's head while we were in Iraq and Afghanistan. What would it be like to defend the country, especially when you're fighting a very keen enemy uh, like we did in the Middle East? And so, yeah, it's exciting to posit what it would be like if you mixed guys with military experience with mountain men who just want to protect the homestead. Uh, I think that's a, a fun premise. I also like the premise of having – you know, most of the books and most of the authors I've had on, you have the sole protagonist. And yes, he does have his ragtag bunch of people that help him or her 
get to you know finish the mission but with this having it on our on our soil we're not dealing with you know some spy genre or anything like that's a pretty cool premise man i like him pulling it together you know and and getting the teamwork and i have to ask though did you know i was in the army and we used to war game in the 90s yeah you know i I was post i was pre and post 9 11 and the krasnovians do the Marines use Krasnovia as well? No, we use the, uh, it's funny that you say it. Cause I knew instantly what it was, but we don't, we use, um, now you got me the Centralians. So yeah, there's every, every, <laughs> every service has a bad guy. That's, you know, not named, but is pretty clearly, you know, China or Russia or North Korea or Iran. but yeah, we use these Centralians and I don't know it's funny because they, they morphed every time we'd fight them. So, Sometimes they were like the mountain yards in Vietnam mm-hmm. and sometimes they were, you know, full on, you know, the Chinese. Uh, so I think it just, you know, whoever your instructor was, they just changed the Centralians, but yeah. <laughs> Where'd that writing bug come from? I know like your, your background is infantry and right. it seems like a lot of combat arms guys get into writing and, you know, not to yeah. bust anybody. I'm, I'm former infantry and artillery, but You'd always think like an Intel dudes and stuff like that, like the performing <laughs> types would be like running, yeah. like writing books. But where the where the writing bug come from? I mean, us poor infantry guys, right? We're always underestimated. Well, maybe that's a good thing, you know. On the battlefield, yeah. we're underestimated, and uh, in the writing world, same way. I I actually I think it's it was the opposite for me is that it was a surprise to all of my family that I didn't go into writing out of college. I have I had uh, two degrees in English literature and German literature and. So when I came home and told my parents I was going to join the Marine Corps and I was going to look for uh, special forces, I was going to try to go into reconnaissance. Uh, you know, this Marine Corps has had a struggle with special forces. So I was a reconnaissance mm-hmm. officer, which isn't considered special forces, the Marine Corps. And I was a fast officer, which is not considered special forces. But uh, the training and stuff is all fantastic. And so, I don't know, we, we like to look at ourselves as pretty special. We like to look at the whole Marine Corps as special. But um so when I told my parents I was going to join the infantry and then I got uh, to to be a reconnaissance officer, uh, my parents were like, what is going on? You know, you started out in the writing world. And and uh, but I, it started probably even before that. You know, I had a writing and reading bug as a, at a very early age. Um, I, it came from an upbringing where a lot of kids were reading Winnie the Pooh and my dad was reading the seven against Thebes to me and my kids, my, my, my uh, siblings. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think we maybe had a, um, a jaundiced view already, which is you're going to do something in the literary world. And I decided instead to spend 23 years hacking and slashing all over the world. <laughs> now, did you say German literature? Yeah. German. Lit. I, I, I lived in Germany. I played uh, g- uh, baseball for a minor league German baseball team and, and I studied uh, uh, German when I was, <laughs> I studied German I, literature. Anyway. Did you get to go to Germany with the Marines? Never. Oh, uh, I my didn't, gosh. Well, I, I'm sorry. I take that back. I take that back. I, while I was in the Pentagon, I was sent on a special assignment. And you know what commands are Was there. that a There's, special assignment or was that a boondoggle? <laughs> I tried to turn it into a boondoggle. Yeah. I tried really hard to turn it into a boondoggle, but it was still a special assignment. So it was a lot of hard work and it was, it was a good assignment and you know what commands are there. So you can kind of predict, you know, what we were working on. There was a lot of hard work, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, we did, you know, I, me, I, since I spoke German fluently, I was, uh, I became the tour guide. So on the brief periods that we did get some time off, they're like, rip, 
take us over to Bavaria. I'm like, all right, you know. <laughs> so I became tour guide uh, all across Germany just by virtue of the fact that I'd lived there and and spoke the language. So I don't know. I, I guess we we had a lot of fun times. We went up and uh, and did a tremendous amount of neat fun stuff. But, uh, it's it sure was a heck, heck of a lot of work. Also, I uh, you know, man, the only overseas I've been to, you know, I've been to the islands and stuff like that. But the only overseas I ever got to go to is I went to Kuwait for a couple months and went to Iraq. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. And then a couple of years ago, I got to go to Germany for Oktoberfest. Yeah. And then we walked all we we hiked everywhere, man. But I'm I'm so ready to move to Germany that it's like I <laughs> my my wife was a, a Russian German Serbo linguist. She did uh-huh. uh interrogator, and then what else did she do? And then in high school, she was um exchange student and i'm like there's that dod college there i'm like i want to go teach college there man and just chill <laughs> that's what i want yeah, to do there's a lot there are a lot of expats in germany um i was surprised the last time i was there how how they're a lot less friendly towards the united states service members so when i was there i was there when the wall came down so i was chipping off parts of the wall oh, um, wow. we didn't have anything to chip it off with we used to throw we were throwing stones at it, but we would collect pieces of it and put it in boxes. I still have a ton of it. I've given away a lot of it, but uh, I was there when um, I was there even before the wall fell. I went to to uh, West Berlin by rail, and this wow. is back in the eighties, and it was it was frightening because I'll never forget. I almost got well. I shouldn't make too much of it, but I had a a East German guard. My German was not so good in the eighties, and uh, he tried to kick me in the face. He missed i think intentionally but we were headed to to uh, west uh, berlin and you know there was that corridor that a train could cross to go from uh, west uh, germany into west berlin and uh, they weren't very polite they were the guards were were not happy with americans and but uh, i don't know i spent a lot of time in germany and uh, so it was kind of natural to study german literature but i i don't their perspective is that you know I was always asked, how long should we be in Afghanistan and Iraq? And I said, well, how long have we been in Germany? How long have we been in Japan? How long mm-hmm. have we been in, in uh, South Korea? But I think that time in Germany and possibly Japan and, and South Korea is expiring to some extent. They're ready to get us out. Uh, the Japanese finally have offensive fighting capability in South Korea. Is, mm-hmm. I'm not sure they're quite ready, but Germany sure as heck wants us out. Uh, at least large U.S. uniform presence. So I, I felt it was a lot less friendly than it was when I was there earlier. Towards uh, I US tell you, service. man. I, uh, I you know, well, we'll get, we got two things I had to comment on. I work in D.C. The Ronald Reagan yeah. Building. If you ever want to see, yeah. there's actually one of the sections of the wall there. It's awesome, man. That's cool. Check that out. And then the other yeah. thing too, man, is like, I Germany was a lot different than I expected because I kind of thought I was going to run into that that resentment, the American thing, but man, they were like open arms. I don't know if it was cause Oktoberfest and it's like a huge sure. thing, but well, you're, I mean, you're, you're a giant money bag at that point. Oktoberfest is a, <laughs> is a hell of a money maker. I mean, they well, the are, thing is, we they went cord to, it uh, off so that they can deal with all the, the, the all of the excitement. <laughs> well, we, we, spent love couple, uh, we spent a couple days there. Then we went down to the Eagle's nest, man. That was unbelievable. Yeah, that's amazing to see. And uh, just hiking everywhere, man. It was, I love it. Oh, I'm, sure. I'm ready to go back. Chris, have you been there? Germany? I've only thrown, flown into Ramstein on the way yeah. over to uh, Kuwait and then f- then further on into Iraq. So I can't say I've actually even been to Germany. Just, I guess, technically, yes. But to see anything beyond the airport, no. Ramstein's Chris, a yeah. Yeah. Chris has a hell of a background, man. I don't know. You guys, Chris, you got any questions or you want to wrap with Rip? I, I'm going to ask the question that I always ask the guys that write these sure. series. What What are your thoughts on um, – 
you know, having this maybe, you know, or maybe it's already been uh, through your agent approached by people in the, in the movie industry or Netflix to make a series or something like that out of it. Uh, I don't, I don't think I'm on the short list for anything having to do with a series. I think uh, I'm a little ways away from that, but my writing partner for uh, a series that we have that's called red metal, uh, which I know we're not here to talk about today, but red metal is a series I wrote with a man named Mark Graney and Mark Graney writes, he wrote the Tom Clancy novels with Tom Clancy. He wrote four before Tom Clancy passed away. And I'm sorry, I've got it backwards three before with Tom Clancy before he died. And then four uh, on his own under the Clancy name. Uh, he's a heck of a great author and he's just been given, he's been writing for 14 or 15 years and he's just been given an opportunity to do a Netflix show. I shouldn't underplay that. It's the largest Netflix product Netflix production they've ever made. It's a $200 million production for wow. Wow. a series called the, uh, the gray man. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a great series. If you haven't gotten into that, you need to take a look. Cause it's, it's a lot of fun. And, he and I wrote red metal together. And so it was a pleasure writing with a guy who's got the bona fides and has been writing for a while. And he was, he was, he's a very polite gentleman. So, you know, when I would write chapters, we would share and we kind of, the, the book wasn't evenly divided on you're writing this character or I'm writing that character. It was kind of, we crossed borders into each other's characters. And um, he would say, Hey, I'm not sure I'm really in love with this scene. And it was heartbreaking as a new writer because like, oh, God, you know what I got to do? And so I'd go back and rewrite the whole chapter. And she's like, well, you know, it was I, all I meant was change these, you know, this these couple of paragraphs. Like, well, I'm a new writer. So it's all it's all good exercise for me, to be honest. How so, did you how did you link up with that? How'd you link up with Mark? Because Mark's been on the show. I don't know, He's been times. for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a little unusual. I was going up to the legal course up in. So I, I had been selected for battalion command. So I was about to take charge of 1200 screaming 18 year olds, which was, man, they can get in some trouble. <laughs> it was a, it was a great command. I loved every minute of it, but uh, you know, young Marines always uh, can find uh, all the, all the tough spots and, and put their commander in a rough spot to answer for them all the time. But I was going to the commander's legal course um, uh, and up in, in uh, Rhode Island and I was writing and I had already been writing for a, a long time. Didn't share it with anybody. It was just, you know, writing for my own, writing novels, writing pieces of novels, writing short stories. And I just on a whim, I said, gosh, you know, I've got a really good idea. I wonder who's writing the Tom Clancy series right now. Uh, I had known Mark because I'd read his books, but I know there also been some other guys. So I sent an email to his agent. I found his agent. He said, yeah. I mean, the words were he doesn't, you know, his fan inbox is here. (laughs) So I wrote him an email and said, hey, I got a good idea for a story. And I'm currently stationed in the Pentagon, about to take command. If you're ever in D.C., you want to tour the Pentagon, give me a shout. And he responded. And he said, I'd love to see the Pentagon. And, you know, I'm always thrilled to talk to new authors. Uh, I would tell anybody who's listening now, I'm not sure he'll do that again, because uh, that <laughs> led him down the path of doing a series and all sorts of stuff. And it's He's like, Marines. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, so uh, so I tell you, he um, he took me under his wing. I mean, the first thing he did was give me mentorship on on some of the stuff I was writing, and then he was out at the Marine Corps birthday ball. I invited him out to my battalion command's birthday ball and brought him out as kind of a guest. and And I said, "Hey, man, I got an idea uh, on a book." And I'd I'd pitched a bunch of or talked about a bunch of stuff with him before just to kind of get his ideas. And we talked about it, and we were supposed to have 
a half an hour over coffee talking about it while our wives went to go get their hair done and stuff for Marine Corps birthday ball. Everybody gets gussied up and it ended up like two and a half hours later, the ladies are texting us going, where are you? And we're like, oh, we're still talking about this book. So I don't know. He was turning on it. And after the ball and a couple of days later, maybe a week later, he said, Hey Rip, I really like that idea. What would you think about writing it with me? I was like, yeah, <laughs> are you kidding? I'd love that. So that, that kind of launched it. And then, uh, you know, I was uh, at 23 years, I deployed 10 times. I had back surgery and my kids were growing up and I said, it's time to retire. And I reached out to Mark and said, hey, I want to turn this into an industry. Will you help me? And he said, absolutely. You so know, one thing about Mark is, you know, I'm glad he is one of the the types and he's very, very meticulous about yeah. knowing his weapon systems, knowing yep. who he's writing about and partnering with you who has that background. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, you know, I could throw crap at intel people all day long but you know they don't you know because i know a lot of ins i did intel for a little bit in the guard and yeah. stuff but yeah. but hey when it comes on a weapon systems you're going to go to the marine infantry dude right you know uh it, that's just the way it is and when you're going to go down to tactics and stuff like that and really going down to rabbit holes like books yeah uh, i'd really recommend that book as well i have it over here i think i actually had a lot to talk about that book once yeah absolutely man it was yeah. a, it's a it was a pleasure right you know, what I learned from him was he had written uh, a fair amount of other stuff, and I won't name any names, but he said, you know, the, the trouble you military authors have is you have a tendency to put too much military stuff in and too much technical detail. He said, you can't forget the characters. It's all about the characters. So I learned a lot writing Red Metal with him because, you know, I, as an infantry guy, as a reconnaissance guy, as a former fast guy, I have a t propensity to want to put some of that stuff in there because that's the way we talk. That's the way we think. But it's boring. It's very boring. And your average reader is not that. They want to yeah. hear about characters that are cool. And they want to see characters do cool stuff, but still get some dirt on them. Uh, and they want to know that it's technically accurate, but they don't need to know every jet fighter engine, every caliber of weapon. You know, it goes bang and it kills the guy. Let's talk about that. That's interesting. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I, I learned it, maybe it was I was too self-conscious about it because I would. Mark and I would share chapters and I'd, I was really, I would send him something and, and uh, we were using some sharing tools online, but I'd think, boy, there's four mentions of technical details in this two chapters. Maybe I should make it two or one. And so I would do that. And then he would ask me to add stuff back and he'd say, well, it'd be interesting to know what caliber was. I go, damn, I, I took too much out. So <laughs> I don't know. I played with that a lot. Mark helped me. I learned a lot doing that, uh, that book. And we've got that red metal too. Uh, we got a contract for, so we're working, Mark and I are working on that right now. I like the idea. I, I love armor, man. I love, I love yeah. all that stuff. I'm looking, I got to yeah. read that one. You know, my problem is I've, I love having authors. I love having offers. I love having authors. And the yeah. thing is, but I have so many books now. <laughs> I'm like, I got to <laughs> yeah. sit and read them. That's the tough part. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, I've got a library that's, that's stacked with, you know, and it's, it's tough because the top three, there's about, and I'm not joking. There's about 75 books on the shelf of to read. And then there's the top three keep getting shuffled mm -hmm. because I'll be like, well, I really need to read that next. So it's all I can do to get through the top three. So there's some like, you know, 60 and below that probably will never get read. And he will get to them eventually. Hey, everybody, uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking about the kill box with H Ripley Rawlings. Nice hey, and you. then we, we also got, if you look on their upper right, look at my graphics, man. These are badass. I'm getting there. 
And then we also got our first question from Chris. Yeah. Hey, Chris. Yeah. What's up, Chris? <laughs> Chris is a good dude, man. If yeah. Rip wrote a romance novel, how many people would die in it? Eh, all of them. <laughs> all of them. I like it all. It's like a zombie outbreak. They all yeah. die at the end. Yeah, I wouldn't write a romance. I don't think I could do that. My mom was an author, and she wrote some some romances. And she wrote under a pseudonym, so I won't. I won't bust her out because she wrote under a, a pen name for a reason, but she was big into romances and went to romance conferences and wrote quite a bit. She um, writes mainly magazines and things like that. She was the editor for country home magazine and a few others like that, but she, so I, I got to see that life and it's a very interesting life. I mean, you know, romance authors are a completely different uh, ilk, but it, it's, and they have a huge market share. If you look at, you know, kind of the percentages of, books that are published across the spectrum romance is a good 60 percent. it's a huge chunk and that changes by year but you're it's surprising to see but uh you know people want to read some of that what i've done to kind of answer chris's question in a roundabout way is i've determined that in my books that are all obviously action and shoot 'em ups that if your characters don't have something and it could be a glance across the room it could be you know anything if there's not some aspect of some romance, then it's a little bit boring. Your 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 military characters, your hillbilly with a shotgun, is just kind of two dimensional. I mean, if there's nobody that likes them <laughs> beyond their, their their subordinate leaders, they're then they're kind of boring. So, I had a uh, a quick side story, but I was at one of the writers' conferences that uh, Chris goes to, the guy who just levied the question, and I went into. If you haven't been to a writers' conference and you are a writer, you need to go. ITW is the Thriller Writers Conference uh, du jour. It, it is uh, in New York City every year. Uh, BoucherCon is the Mystery and Thriller Writers Conference, and that shifts uh, across the coast in the mid middle of the country. But I went into one of these seminars. They hold these seminars. They put panels together of very prominent authors, and the authors answer questions from either aspiring writers or fans. And so it's a nice mix. You get a mix of a bunch of stuff. Um, I went into one, and I didn't really see the demographics, but uh, it was – how to write better romance scenes or something to that respect. And I went into the back and kind of snuck in with my coffee and I was a little bit late. So I was nice and quiet. And it was a panel of, that was all female. And I didn't realize until I asked my first question that everyone in the audience was female too. And I was the only male. And so, and, and I'm a fairly big guy. I'm six foot four. And um, so I stood up to ask a question. I said, how do you write a romantic scene from the perspective of the opposite sex, if you are female or male and writing about a male or female. And so it was an apt question. I, I'm not embarrassed about the question, but immediately everyone in the audience turned around and I realized, oh my God, I'm the only male here. I'm asking a question that's ostensibly about sex, you know? And, and so the panelists were very kind and one of them kind of took it up and said, well, the first thing I would do is start with the 12 ways of sensing. And I said, there's 12. Don't tell my wife. I didn't know that. <laughs> and they said, well, you got some reading to do, kid. So go out and read, you know, some of that. So it was great advice, which is, you know, before you get to kissing somebody in your book, which I don't have a lot of that really, but people look at each other and people talk to each other and the way they talk and the way they look at each other uh, is just as important. So you can have a spark in your book. That's, I, I mean, it's it, ostensibly not romance, but it feels like it a little bit that at least some characters have a connection above and beyond, Hey, go shoot that guy or whatever it might be in an, in an action novel. Yeah. It's uh, it's all about killing, <laughs> killing. Yeah. No romance. I mean, so, uh, the Chris, kill box, no, you know, no romance. 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's out of my depth. I, I know my yeah. patience. That's out of my depth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if I, you remember, you know, the, the earliest cue I had on that, um, because I think for writers, you know, most writers, especially males, I don't think females have any compunction putting some kind of spark in their books. Males typically do and don't want to approach it. But if you go back to um, even like uh, some of the early Tom Clancy books, uh, do you guys, did you guys all read uh, Red Storm Rising? Oh, yeah. It's a great book. Okay. Great old Tom Clancy back in the day. Russia is at it again, mm -hmm. Soviet Union in the day. And there's a full blown romance in there. I mean, he almost has kind of sex scenes in his books, uh, which I don't do. Um, I've kind of stopped at anything well before that. But it, <laughs> it, did, it did. I remember as a kid, I mean, I read it as a, I think an 18 year old. And I remember that it held the, the book held more of an allure for me because something beyond killing is happening, you know, and uh, and we're, you know, and all of us who've been downrange know romances happen downrange. Uh, you know, kids meet up with each other and, and you can't stop them. And, you know, in some cases you don't want to because they're, <laughs> they're, 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 they're going to get married and engaged. I, I ended up deploying with my wife. So she deployed in the same area that I did. And I wanted to at least visit her and say hi to her at once. And so I asked our general, I said, Hey, sir, can I, I have no operations uh, committed for my unit in the hours from zero one to zero three, can I fly over and say hi to her on this adjacent base? She's a, she was a navy navy surgeon, so she was long story. But she ended up. I never thought I'd be in the same battle space as a reconnaissance guide. I was in a completely different part, but they shifted me over to this part, and it, and she ended up operating on some of my guys, which was wow. hard on her. I mean, she knew all my NCOs. They'd all been over for barbecues and hung out at our house, and so when she had a kid on the table that wasn't from a unit that she knew she did her job. Obviously when it was Sergeant Jones, whose wife and kids had been at our house for barbecues, it was a lot harder because she's now, you know, taking his leg off and stuff. So, um, so not to get gory, but you know, it's, so I don't know. I wanted to go at least say hi to her, but little did I know I was going to get shifted to her, but I didn't see her at all when we were, when I was sending wounded back to her, that was not, that didn't happen. At that, that point I was, you know, we were getting hit five or six times a day. So it was, uh, I was preoccupied. <laughs> Man, what a, you know, what a career you've had. And I got to pull this up now. Let's, uh, let's take a look at this handsome devil. <laughs> you talking about Chris? Oh, you know, I was going to pull that one up. Look at that guy. Huh? Is that? Look at that dude. We that call that a rack in the PD. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I was, I remember being a young lieutenant. Uh, I, I just posted a picture of myself maybe uh, two weeks ago as a second lieutenant. I got to go to a show up in Hollywood. I got to go see a premiere and it was neat because I got to go to the after show and I met um, some pretty neat actors. I met, uh, um, uh, what's her, Courtney Cox was the one of the oh, highlights. Wow. So she was pretty cool. I also got a chance to meet, uh, gosh, I just forgot his name now. Um, so I got to meet all these actors and I looked at the picture of me and I posted it online and I have nothing but my shooting medals because <laughs> I was a second lieutenant. It was like 19, uh, whatever it was, 1990, uh, 1996, I guess. Yeah. Wow. So I don't know. I, I look at that picture of me now and it's like, who's that guy? <laughs> a lot of, a lot of hard work. I you know, think the funny a lot thing of is in, the, in the infantry as an infantry and you'll Jason, you, well, both of you guys will connect up with this as an, as an infantry and reconnaissance guy, the past 24 years of fighting, we rarely put on anything besides utilities and camouflage uniform. So putting on a dress uniform was kind of an oddity 
So I spent the majority of my career in camouflage uniform. So when you put it on, it was kind of more of a, a pain in the ass because you'd have to get your medals mounted. Mm-hmm. It costs hundreds, hundreds of dollars. I mean, the, one more medal, obviously you appreciate the, you know, all the boys put the hard work in that got you that medal. But so you want to wear it because it's them that did it. Uh, but at the same time, it's like it's $250 to mount all this stuff. So it, it becomes kind of a pain in the butt to put it on. But I remember as a second lieutenant, look at the guys who fought in the Gulf War. And you're like, well, yeah. that guy's been there, you know. Yeah, it was weird because when I first went, it was 93. And yeah. it wasn't a lot of combat patches because, you know, the Army, right. yeah, everybody has combat yeah. patches. Not a lot of them out yeah. there. Um, and because you know, the only thing going on back then was you had Granada. And then later on was Panama and then yep. Desert Storm. And yeah, we adulated over the few guys that had bona fides. They would come talk to us. And I look down now at the guys who talk to us about fighting in Haiti or fighting in uh, Panama. And, uh, the, I mean, their experiences obviously are valid and fantastic. But then you look at what the guys around you did, and you're like, well, that was one form of combat, and it lasted 20 days. Um, but uh doesn't compare to, you know, nine months. It's a little little different, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Different times, man. And now Different you're writing, writing books. <laughs> Write books having, now. Yeah. Writing books, man. So is Chris. <laughs> Chris doing the same thing, man. Chris is a great backstory. Awesome. You know, NYPD. I always love NYPD guys. Thanks for your Yeah, man. Yeah. Chris, good stuff, man. Chris, got any more uh, questions for Rip? So so the answer is not not really, but maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Okay. Back to the question. The answer is not really, but maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm afraid to get rip on on the actual podcast because we're not talking for like three hours about just everything. Like, yeah, you know, when you're shooting an M4, no, I'm just yeah, kidding. you know, you it's know, fun so- to tell war stories. Though I we go to yeah. these, as I mentioned, these conferences, and it's interesting because all the military and cops writers, obviously, but all the former military, former cops, tend to gravitate together, and you know, usually end up in the bar somewhere. And and before you know it, war stories are coming out and cop stories. And I mean, cop stories are bloody as hell. I mean, it's, you know, so the, the cool thing about that is even if I'm a relatively junior author, I mean, this is my third book. Um, you get these very advanced, prominent authors who come over and want to hear you talk. And so, you know, you're surrounded by some greats, which is nice. And they start wanting to listen to your stories. So we had a bunch of former cops and a bunch of former military who said, hey, we ought to bottle this. What, what, what about doing a behind the badge in the trench seminar where we just put us up on stage with a bunch of beer and tell war stories and kind of, you know, talk to other authors about some of this stuff. It's surprising to me. There's a lot of authors who have no background. It uh, doesn't mean that they can't write them. They can write brilliant books, obviously. Um, but it is, I think it's refreshing when they're thrilled to kind of come over and ask you some questions. I'm always flattered, you know, because, hey, Rip, I, I have a bunch of guys that mentor me and they always are very, uh, they're very nice and say, Rip, can I get some help on a book? And I'm thrilled. Uh, Lee, Lee Goldberg, if you haven't uh, met the guy, is really cool. He wrote a lot of Baywatch back in the day. He wrote the awesome. Monk series and he's got his own series that are really cool. I mean, he's an action adventure thriller writer. And he's given me angles on the business side and he's asked questions. He said, Hey Rip, can I talk to you by video and chat or at the conferences? He'll say, Hey, can I, can I get 20 minutes? And he'll ask a question and then he puts a nice acknowledgement in the book. And, but it's usually something that just feels like a discussion to me, but he'll say, tell me about military tattoos. What do they mean? He'll say, well, 
They mean a lot. I mean, it, you know, it depends on the guy. If I know the background, I can tell you what tattoos he's going to get, but every tattoo has a story to it. And, you know, so he gave me acknowledgement in his most recent book and he has a mil- <laughs> former military guy who's got all these tattoos. And uh, so he asked me to tattoos, kind of, whoa. well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to show mine, my, all my ink, but um, so I don't know. It's a pleasure to work with these guys. Uh, he, his bona fides are, he's a fantastic writer. And he asks a lot of really cool questions. And so I think that's why that's his secret sauce. Um, And through him, you know, you learn a lot. Rip, I think you and I think all three of us could probably say like, we're, we're at the different age where, you know, the, the twenties and thirties, you kind of gravitate towards the same people. Sure. I used to be so hard to go to social functions and find anything to talk about. And now I don't know, maybe it's just because I have the podcast and stuff like that, but I find myself talking to anybody now because I'm yeah. always trying to find different information out. I want to know about something different than, you know, the military, law enforcement, guns sure. and ammo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love <laughs> talking. There's, I can talk dog. guns. All- hey, there's a dog. <laughs> love it, man. Love it. He's he's in he's five months old. Oh, we my gosh. Him, we bought him at four months. He's a German shepherd. He's already huge. He's oh, you got to pull him up. But he's like an anti-aircraft gun. He hates moths, mosquitoes, flies. <laughs> so if you saw him jump, it's because I don't stop him because in some ways it's like pest control. And I'm like, get it. The only problem we had is he, he ate a bee the other day and it stung him on the tongue. Oh. And I saw it coming and I couldn't stop him in time because I, I saw him watching. You can see the anti-aircraft gun kind of picking its targets. Uh-huh. And I saw him looking. I go, no. <laughs> Boom. He got on it. Instantly stung. And he's, you know, he was like, wait a minute. What was that? Oh thing? my gosh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, I don't know. It's well, the joys of owning a dog. I put, I put a dog in my uh, series and I, I did it because um, we work with a lot of military working dogs in Iraq and Afghanistan and mm-hmm. they become trench dog. They're compadres. I mean, these are as important a person as your best corporal. He just got the mosquito. If you saw that, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, buddy, way to go. Um, So he, he is, so he's in some ways a role model for one of my characters. I've got a a character named trigger who is a fairly wise, uh, he's a Belgian Malinois, but um, you know, it's fun to have something that's, I have a computer. That's also a character in my books. And I think it's, it's fun to have non-human characters. Um, Mm -hmm. Art Cameron does that. Mark Cameron had a genius idea. He was, I have a lot of authors that come and stay at my house. Mark was writing one of his Tom Clancy's and he said, Hey Rip, I want to pick your brain about some stuff. And he stayed with us for about a week. And um, he had a genius idea. He has a computer virus as a character. And if you think about that for a minute, that's really clever because a virus that's able to worm its way through things has somewhat of a personality, at least enough of an aspect there he is enough of an aspect that it's exciting for readers. And it was a hit. I mean, if you read his reviews, people like this computer virus was cool. You guys, you remember Stuxnet, the, the virus that killed the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. nuclear computers. That was a, that was like the 007 of computer viruses. It knew yeah. how to infect. The, I mean, it, the computer virus, if no one's heard of this in a nutshell was infected through a Siemens, uh, uh, factory, um, component it's a cyclotron that basically a centrifuge i'm sorry that uh that spins and mm-hmm. purifies or enriches uranium anyways long story short but they infected it so that it went through the business side just with an update uh, siemens didn't know about it in fact i think they're the ones who caught it and it then went to the personal computers of some of the lab assistants and so not only did it 
it, it's changed the angle of the centrifuge just a little bit so that it would kill itself in record time. So within a, three months, the computer, all these centrifuges were, were done and uh, they're very expensive piece of machinery. And then it went to the computers of some of the people who worked there. Well, they put all those scientists up against the wall and shot them because they thought they were all saboteurs. So we wiped out the scientists and their nuclear program with one virus. Wow. So I don't know. It's exciting to put non-human characters like that. I think it's kind of a neat catch on how to do it. Well, you know, now that you said the audio book is coming out, it, is the yeah. audio book out or is it? It's out. out. Yeah, it's out. It's I got a I got a notice this morning at 930 that my copy was in. And I was excited because I'm writing Red Metal 2 right now with Mark and I haven't touched uh, the kill box in a couple months. So I listened to it this morning because I had a bunch of a nice rash of interviews, including yours. And and I was like, OK, I got to refresh my memory because, uh, you know, if someone asked me a specific question. I got to be able to make sure I'm on the ball. <laughs> You don't have to worry about that with us. We're just kind of, this is the protectors, man. We're kind of, I, know, just I, know. Like, Let's just I, talk. I got <laughs> a, I got a guy named Graham Winton who reads the books. He's a former actor and his voice is perfect. It's so fun to, to uh, listen to the guy because he's, he's able to do voices without getting it in your ear. You know, some people are, yeah. if you listen to some people's audio books and they yes. abruptly they're Russian and then they're French and mm-hmm. it's kind of like, I, I can't follow it when it's too heavy. But he's able to do it just subtly enough, and his voice is uh, is good that it keeps you going. So I don't know. Every audiobook I do from now on, I'm going to ask that guy if he can do it for me. Yeah, man, I I love audiobooks, but man, you're right. You're right. If there's someone that has like, there's I, there's a series I absolutely love reading. Love yeah. it. Um, Jack Reacher, uh, but I can't <laughs> I can't listen to the audiobooks. I just can't. It, the the character doesn't line up with me. So yeah, that's the I, other thing. I did a seminar at one of the voucher cons where we talked about um, how you interact and work with your readers. And I mean, with three books, I was not as experienced as some of the other people on the panel, but I felt, especially with a military book, having, since I had such a good relationship with my first two, uh, both of my two books have different readers, but I had good relationships with them and I would talk to them and I'd let say, Hey, ask me questions because in some cases, cases, you want them to get the military stuff right. And, you know, everything from, you know, uh, what is midnight plus 30? Uh, if you have 0030, you don't read mm-hmm. it 0030, that clicks over to midnight plus 30. And so there's a lot of little things that you want your reader to get right. Um, Dishka, the, the name of a, a Russian Soviet manufactured machine gun is DSHK, and it's a heavy caliber anti-aircraft mm-hmm. gun. But we in the West have shortened that to Dishka. And it's just taking the abbreviation and turning it into a, uh, an actual moniker. And mm-hmm. so I, without getting those details, I mean, you can't, you, they won't get the details right unless you have a relationship with them. So we had a big, neat seminar to talk about how do you develop that relationship? And I was astonished that very senior authors had none. There were a few that said, I have never talked to my reader. And I wow. thought, well, that's kind of a shame because a, they're really cool guys uh, and gals, but B don't you want to make sure they don't mess up the name of, I don't know the town in New Jersey that you picked uh, that you know you want to have as part of the background. Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> well, Rip, Chris, I think we're we're kind sure. of rolling out. We're rolling in. This is the book club. This is pub day. That's this is where day, it's man. at. So yeah. if everybody you want to go to, you know what? Let's pull this up right now. Sure. You know, I, I'm always kind of partial to Amazon just because I just click and I'm ready to go. So let's pull this right. up, everybody here. I'm learning about all this new handy dandy gadget here at the Streamyard. There it is, a kill box. There's the kill box. It's ready in three formats. So, oh man, 
yeah, this is uh, always you've got the arc, and it's always worrisome to authors to have arcs out there because the arc, if people don't know, the arcs are I don't know version number twelve out of maybe twenty or maybe you know sixteen, depending upon which book book. So there's still errors. And yeah, there are copies of the arc that kind of get loose from time to time. And unfortunately, they kind of make them their way onto Amazon reviews. And you'll have someone who said, I read this book, but it had errors. And you're like, uh, it's an arc. arc. You got it yeah. for free, probably. You right. know, I had an arc a couple uh geez, what was that? And I, I that was Chris saying Jersey. Jersey. I know because he's from Jersey. So <laughs> me too. <laughs> I am too. It's the best place, the Garden State. <laughs> But, you know, I was reading an arc and I'm like, well, do I tell him I found a couple of errors? Because I'm like, I'm, I'm, I, have I'm like I had someone who turned who gave me an error on uh, Assault by Fire that we didn't catch. Oh, and wow. It was too, and it was too late. It was it's depressing. I won't say what it is because I don't want people to go find it. But it was oh, depressing. Uh, he told it to me and he had read the arc beforehand, but he didn't tell me about the error until uh, maybe two weeks before publication. It was small, but it was enough that, you know, any error is really irksome to an author and so yeah and they happen um mark has been my best i don't know you know he's been my the guy who's kind of told me to blow it off he said look i still get he told me 13 years ago i wrote this particular <laughs> error in one book and i still have people writing to me he said so you just have to get over it move on i he uh, said, if people yeah. are that nitpicky then Well, guys, I think we're gonna uh, we're gonna call it, man. Let's that was it. that was fun, guys. And everybody, thanks for having there. me on, you guys. It's great to see you. I appreciate Absolutely, you guys uh, chatting about the book, and I appreciate all you guys do for the community. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You're always welcome. We're gonna do a protector show soon, and we're gonna go shooting soon. So we're going shooting soon. You and me are going. Yes, shooting. we've got a little bit of a crew. If anybody's listening right now, just so they know, Jason and I have come up with this idea. We've got some formers. So we've got a former CIA guy, a former FBI guy. Actually, I've got an active duty FBI guy too, a former Secret Service guy. And then what we're going to do, and Jason's got a lineup also, and we're going to get a noob. We're going to get somebody who just has never really shot a lot. And each of us gets a chance to teach that person five for five minutes something that they don't know. And then we're going to, you know, come hell or high water, we're going to put him on the range and see what happens. So we're going <laughs> to teach him some tactical stuff and see what uh, he got the mosquito. We're going <laughs> to teach him some tactical stuff. And I think it'd be pretty cool, Jason. I think it'd be a lot of fun. And and no, Chris, I'm reading the comments. It's not you. You're not, you're not going to be the noob. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Everybody out there, uh, the Protectors Book Club, this is part of it. We, we talk to authors. It's free. We get arcs. I'll send arcs out to everybody when I get them from there. But it's absolutely free. I'll never ask you for money. And yeah, feel free to jump on in and join the Protectors Book Club. Uh, most active on IG, the Protectors Book Club. You can follow me at Dr. Jason Piccolo. And then also we have the website, protectorsbookclub.us and .com. Chris, you got anything you're, you're pushing out right now? Read Brooklyn uh- to Baghdad. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I actually took my uh, my wall wallboard down because I didn't think that would be appropriate for Rip today. But uh, on other shows, <laughs> I definitely put it back up. But yeah, thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Appreciate awesome. it very much. So look at that. It's it's hardcover too. I love that. I I got I got to tell you, I, I'm always impressed to talk to other writers, and I always <laughs> learn something. You can always learn something when you speak to other people. <clears throat> but I I write nonfiction, so uh, it, it's 
it's different. You know what I mean? It's di- and you know I write what I see. So for me, it's actually sure. easy. I'm, yeah. I'm always impressed with people that can create a scene, create characters. You know, either whole cloth or part. You know, part relationships. So I'm always impressed by that. And um, and I, you know, between military genre and police genre and crime scenes and things like that. I mean that that that's never going to go away. Never. Never. You guys are awesome. Thanks for you guys' service, both of you guys. It's it's a, it's an honor to be online with you guys. I appreciate it, brother. Everybody, take care and have a good night.